Welcome to the Light Reading Executive Spotlight Q&A. This is Light Reading's sponsored podcast series where we're uh, exploring the topics, the technologies, and talking to the people that are moving the industry forward. This is Phil Harvey. I'm an editor at Light Reading, and I'm here in Fort Worth. And today I'm joined by Robert Shore from Infinera. Rob, thanks for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me, Phil. Always uh, great conversations. Great to talk to you again. And um, our main topic of discussion today is uh, an optical networking topic. Obviously, we're talking about coherent pluggables. And I guess to set the scene, let's go back to a little earlier this year at OFC. Uh, my colleague Sterling Perrin interviewed uh, Infinera's CEO, David Hurd, about uh, vertical integration, uh, the value of vertical integration, and the need for pluggable coherent optics. And I think that's a great place to kind of pick up the conversation there, uh, assuming everybody's seen the video. We'll link to it if you haven't. Um, but at OFC, what did Infinera announce uh, related to coherent pluggables? Well, you know, Infinera, of course, has a long history of building coherent optical engines, um, and we really leverage. We're one of uh, maybe the only uh, vendor in the industry that has a Indian phosphide-based fabrication facility right here in the good old United States uh, mm -hmm. over in uh, San Francisco area. Uh, as well as our own packaging facility in uh, Allentown. And of course, packaging isn't uh, taking things and putting them into cardboard boxes, but it's taking all the electrical components and, and uh, wiring them together and bonding them together and stuff like that. So two very important um, aspects of building a coherent optical engine. So historically, we really focused on the, the long haul and subsea because that's the area where coherent hit first. You know, all networking uh, goes through these multiple stages, right? Where if it's really low speed and short distances, you can do it with electrical. As the bandwidth goes up or the uh, distance goes up, you have to move into optical. And optical, direct detect, basic optics are good for a period of time. Uh, and then as capacity continues to grow, you need to go to more advanced based solutions like DWDM and eventually coherent to meet these capacity demands. So with our uh, what we call monolithically integrated indium phosphide based photonic integrated circuit, I know a mouthful, they really optimize ultra high capacity, high performance uh, transmission solutions. So again, that started in the long haul and subsea. Um, but again, we, uh, we know from the history of bandwidth, it only goes one direction, it only goes up. Um, and so what we've been uh, seeing in the industry is uh, an increase in need for this type of technology uh, closer and closer to the edge. So regional networks, then metro networks, now really even all the way at the edge. Um, and that's what we've been doing is leveraging our integrated in-house capabilities of building those coherent optical engines from scratch with our own fab, with our own packaging facility, and now just optimizing them for a wider variety of applications. Yes, we're still building the ultra long haul uh, type solutions with our ICE number, <laughs> ICE 6, soon to be ICE 7, ICE 8. Um, but now as we get more to the edge, it just has slightly different requirements to those types of technologies. It's less about spectral efficiency, less about ultra high end performance, and more about size, form factor, cost per bit, power per bit, um, and uh, packaging in a way uh, that's deployable in more different configurations. So that's what we announced at OFC, which was uh, essentially Infinera's release of our very first product in these smaller pluggable style form factor for these coherent optical engines, enabling them to be used in a wider variety of applications, particularly at the edge and metro networks. Uh, thanks for that uh, background. Because I, you know, when you're talking about um, uh, optical form factors getting smaller and going into, you know, 
different applications, obviously that lends itself well to uh, being able to walk up and see it. And um, so I guess my next question is, did you have a chance to show that off at OFC and uh, what kind of demos did you do and how, how was that received? Yeah, uh, great question. Yeah, one of the big things is as we look to, you know, network operators always have the same objectives and when it comes to optical networking, they need to grow capacity while at the same time driving down costs per bit and power per bit. Right. And can you make um, it free? As the other well, yes. <laughs> well, free is definitely a, 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 could be an effective way to do that for the network right. operators, not so much for the vendors. Right, right. Um, yeah. But so, you know, and this is what we're looking at. When you look at the long haul, really, this is where you want the really ultra high performance optical engines and having customized platforms to host those engines is really important. As you get into the metro, you're really looking for different dynamics in the way you can deploy these things. So you don't necessarily need a dedicated optical networking platform to host these engines. And we're increasingly seeing network operators now being interested in taking more portable engines in these pluggable form factors and eliminating the optical transport platform and plugging these directly into other devices. And this is what we demonstrated. And there's a whole host of new challenges when you want to try to do that, <clears throat> which I'll talk about in a second. But that's what we demonstrated at OSC, was the ability to take our pluggable optical engines, uh, deploy it in a third-party network element, and we have a whole bunch of partners in there like Sumitomo and <clears throat> Edgecore and others that we had uh, in our booths. So that was the one thing that we showed was how easy it is to deploy these in third-party elements. And then we really highlighted two different key networking applications. One is, as you start making these optical engines smaller, obviously you're gonna lose some amount of performance. Um, and the more performance you can pack into these smaller optical engines, uh, the wider variety of applications they can be uh, deployed across. And so one of the things we demonstrated was not only could we plug these into third-party elements, but we still ended up with a very impressive performance. In fact, we set two different world records um, on point-to-point -point application performance, um, both in a trial network where we did over, I believe, 2,000 kilometers, and even in a real-world network scenario um, where we did, I think it was like 1,800 kilometers or something like that, and a point-to-point -point application. What it shows you is, hey, not only can I get the cost-effective benefit of building these smaller packages, I can get the uh, also the cost-effective benefit of eliminating the optical transport platform by plugging these things directly into routers and switches without sacrificing the performance uh, that you need to utilize these things both over longer distances um, and over a road of infrastructure, right? Not to, not to go on too much about this point, but there's really two different ways you look at these. You can have a point-to-point -point network, which really consists of nothing besides a, a fiber between two points. Right. Um, and, and the performance required for that is, is quite a bit less. But if you're going over some kind of mesh rodent-based network, there's a lot of filter effects, a lot of amplifier noise implications. Um, you need a certain amount of launch power to even to get through the add-drop structure of those devices. Um, and that's what we were trying to prove is that you can build these pluggable form factor devices put them in a third-party host um, and still get the kind of network performance to make it viable for a wide variety of applications. And, and that's what we demonstrate. Excellent. Um, and, and uh, you know, that I guess that part of this is is exciting because it's an emerging, you know, technology area, not just for Infranera, but for, you know, the industry at large, as you, as you mentioned, uh, pluggable devices and optics getting into smaller and smaller packages being put into more different types of devices and essentially bringing bandwidth closer to people and machines and whatever else needs the bandwidth. And of course, changing the game in terms of how much bandwidth can be transported from, you know, from point A to point B. Um, because this is an emerging area and maybe people are just picking some of this up, or maybe they've only been familiar with optical networking, like you said earlier, from a long haul uh, perspective or sub C or something like that. Um, let's cover the context. Um, let's, exp uh, you know, would you mind explaining 
the different types of coherent pluggables and then how each one is used? Yeah, uh, it's a great question. So the, as, kind of as I was talking about before, there's kind of different classes of coherent engines depending on uh, where it is you're trying to use them. Right now, this really the shortest reach applications we're talking about are in that 40-ish, 40-80-ish kilometer. And there's this uh, kind of what we call campus-style DCI applications, data center interconnect applications, which again is that uh, scenario where it's a single fiber between two points, and that is the entire network. And there's where they use that term ZR. Um, so ZR is these really ultra low performance optics really optimized for very specific and, and um, somewhat uh, focused targeted type of application space. Right. You then have what we are calling network grade pluggables. And these are the ones, as I just said, that really need to be able uh, to go through these uh, at drop structures, road and vision structures, have the right uh, optical noise to signal ratio um, uh, capabilities to be able to go over long distances. But there's another really big characteristic to these things too that I think a lot of people when they first entered into this field didn't really think about. Optical network platforms have a tremendous amount of intelligence built into them to effectively control these very, very powerful devices, right? A coherent optical engine um, is extremely programmable, has thousands of different parameters it needs to keep track of, has to interoperate with the line system and understand the different um, characteristics of the way it operates across the network to get the most value out of that engine. Um, so there's a lot of intelligence that we that a lot of people took for granted that are in these optical networking platforms. When you take the engine out of the platform and plug it into a router, you lose all of that intelligence. And this was a major problem. So again, if all you're doing is that simple little point-to-point -point application where it's just a fiber, uh, between two points, there, there isn't really much to do. And those engines are not programmable. You plug them in, they operate one way, and that's it. So right. you saw a lot of success in people deploying ZR, 400 gig ZR, because it was easy. You didn't see as much with the ZR plus, these longer distance network grade pluggables, because they were really struggling to get these put into routers and being able to manage them effectively. And this is one of the other things that we really highlighted at the show with Infineer's line of pluggables, which we call ICE-X, uh, we really focused on integrating system level intelligence onto the pluggable. So all of that intelligence you're used to from the optical networking platform, you still retain that, but it's just now in the pluggable uh, and can be managed almost as an independent optical network entity, even when it's plugged directly into the uh, router. And this is one of the initiatives that people have heard of the OpenXR forum. Uh, it's a forum to get together to, to solve some of these challenges of really network focused uh, pluggable applications. And the very first set of specifications the OpenXR forum released was a set of management specifications because management is the number one uh, challenge the network operators are having in terms of implementing these pluggables in a wider variety of applications. Um, it says, uh, my father once gave me a quote, I'm sure he didn't come up with it, but um, it was, uh, a tool is ever only as good as your ability to use it. Right, and so you can come up with the best pluggable, best performing pluggable in the world, but if you can't implement it effectively operationally in your network, it's useless. And so this is what we focused on. Not only we get the high performance with our pluggables for a variety of reasons, uh, but we made them imminently manageable um, even when plugged into third-party hosts. So there were really three things we demonstrated at OFC. One was the performance in a third party. The second was the manageability in a third-party host. And the last one, which we'll get to in a second here, um, is the concept of multi-point uh, transmission capabilities, particularly aggregation and access. But but it's really those first two things where we just talked about. Yeah, I think, uh, and, and, and to kind of follow on that point, yeah, let's talk a, a bit about, um, uh, you know, what the, what's driving the market for this. Now, obviously, you know, uh, we've, we've talked about 
you know, bandwidth uh, demand is obvi- is uh, obviously the the bigger overall driver for literally everything optic and optical and fiber related is <laughs> is is kind of pushing that forward. But I mean, what specific sort of market uh, needs are out there that coherent pluggables are nicely suited to? Yeah, uh, it's another great question. I mean, listen, let me just tell you, uh, this is a, a a statement has been made by no network operator ever is, hey, my, my customers are telling me they have too much bandwidth. Sure. We'd like less. <laughs> yeah, right. so uh, really for every application, more bandwidth uh, means differentiation for network operators. And if they can provide those that capacity at a lower cost and more operationally efficiently, it gives them a you know a, an advantage over some of their competitors in the market. So as we look, there's a couple, there's really only two critical ways to drive down cost per bit in optical networking. One is a generational evolution, right? And you see this with these successive generation, you get about a 20 to 30% drop in, in cost per bit, power per bit. And this is, you know, with high, uh, lower no, uh, order node processes like seven nanometer technology to five nanometer. So these things will always drive, drive it down, which enables you to get more capacity per individual engine. That's right. a relatively linear um, and it really, as we see, bandwidth is really more uh, geometric, not linear, right? So it grows geometrically. And that linear progression of generational improvements is not ever going to be enough um, to keep up with the bandwidth demands. The more imp- It's important, right? We don't want to not do those things. You still need that linear progression. Um, but the real way to make substantial changes in the cost per bit and power per bit is architectural changes, changing the way you build your networks. And this is one of the key benefits that pluggables have is it enables you to eliminate equipment in your network, right? You can actually remove some of that optical networking system equipment to put these pluggables directly into routers. And so it's not just being able to build more optical uh, coherent actions and push them to the edge. The pluggables are enabling you to build a simplified network architecture that reduces power and, and capital expense. And this is exactly where uh, uh, multi-point capabilities make a huge difference. So particularly when you get to the edge of the network, the pattern of traffic changes in the metro, in the core, in the regional, it's really point to point, a big location, another big location got symmetrical traffic between those two locations. When you get to the edge, think of like a residential network or a mobile network, you have an aggregation point and it's talking to hundreds, thousands, or tens of thousands of end users that all have a little bit of bandwidth coming from each one. You have definitively asymmetrical traffic patterns or um, uneven traffic patterns, right? Where a single location needs to talk to a lot of little locations and the mobile infrastructure solved this problem, right? How do they do it? They put a big giant radio on the cell tower, one radio on the cell tower, and that radio talks across a wide spectrum and it can talk simultaneously to multiple lower speed radios on mobile phones. Right. Optics historically haven't worked that way, right? It's They've been symmetrical, certainly for coherent optics. What multi-point coherent optical technology does is borrow that concept directly from the mobile infrastructure to provide those same level of efficiencies in the optical network where we have a single um, higher speed transceiver that talks over a range of uh, optical spectrum Mm -hmm. and then smaller transceivers at the endpoints. And now you can have symmetrical uh, communication to each of those endpoints, um, but you can have uh, asymmetrical uh, transceiver sizes but what it does at the aggregation location is it enables you to reduce a huge amount of uh, equipment there. Of course, you're cutting out tons of transceivers, but you're also eliminating um, people would put switches and routers at that aggregation location to aggregate from these multiple lower speed transceivers. You can eliminate that entire aggregation device now because you're actually aggregating everything optically. So 
that was one of the, the third demonstrations I mentioned that we did at, at OFC was the ability to leverage this multi-point capability that's defined by the OpenXR forum and integrated in, in ISEX uh, optics, engineers ISEX optics. Um, but this way to really transform your architecture to not reduce your cost per bit by, you know, 15, 20, 30%, but really reduce it by 70, 80% by eliminating equipment, which also drives down power quite a bit. We actually won a number of awards for uh, green awards for uh, for how much this type of application, this type of solution can substantially reduce the amount of power consumed in a network, again, by literally eliminating 30, 40, 50% of the equipment in your aggregation network. Yeah, and it's it's an important innovation too because of the uh, you know the architectural change, and I guess for people to understand it, just sort of at, if you're if you're at my like third grade reading level, um, the you know you're when you're the long haul, it, you're flying city to city on an airplane, but the metro, you're driving neighborhood to neighborhood. It's a completely different mode of transportation. Things look different. You know, you've got more turns and twists, and you've got a you know a. a, a a much different uh, a vehicle is needed to get you there. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a great analogy, by the way. Is there's actually a tremendous number of parallels between the optical transport network and like the mail network, <laughs> you know, like yeah. the postal service network. You, you've got when you want to get traffic from one city to another, you put it, you fly it or whatever, a big giant truck, or and it drives from city to city. But mm -hmm. that would not work for your mail carrier who has right. to deliver the mail to each individual person's house. Could you imagine if there was a separate vehicle for each end user, like this right. is my mail truck, Right. <laughs> you know, that wouldn't work. You need a single mail truck that has a bunch of letters in it. Whereas when you have uh, traffic from Chicago to New York, you can have a dedicated truck that just travels from Chicago to New York. That yeah. wouldn't work a dedicated truck traveling from the post office to my home. That would not right. work. <laughs> yeah. or, or if it, you know, maybe at Christmas time, but just once a year. <laughs> exactly. That's it. Maybe. Yeah. Um, uh, so, so it, you know, the the other kind of thing, the truism about you know technology is that there's you know that that technology moves everything forward, but there's always some kind of trade off. So you know, to be to be kind of to round out the conversation, what what are the challenges with uh, coherent pluggables, and then. Uh, I guess the flip side of that, and the reason you're in business, is how does Infinera, uh, you know, help service providers overcome those challenges? Yeah, I mean, there's a the, the biggest challenge when going from direct detect optics to coherent is cost, right? So direct detect, it, when you look at the transmitter and receiver, they're extremely simple. Even even dense wave division multiplex so color transmissions, um, they're pretty cheap. The receiver is a fifty dollar part that just detects is there light, is there not light. Um, when you talk about a coherent receiver, you're working on uh, shifting the, uh, the phase of the signal and working in different polarization modes. And it's just a vastly more complicated uh, engine to get to that. Now, it gets you from, you know, a direct detect is really good for up to about 10 gig over distance and maybe 100 or 200 gig over short, short distances. Um, but if you really want to get to these higher speeds, you have to do this jump to coherent, which can get you, you know, people are talking 3.2 terabits per individual right. engine. Um, in oh. the future. Um, so it's really helping to drive down that cost. And this is one of the areas where Infinera can really focus on because there is one material that all lasers need. Every single 100% of all lasers need indium phosphide. It's the only semiconducting material that can actually produce light at a high enough performance um, that's viable for transmission. So even when people talk about, I'm sure people have heard the term uh, silicon photonics, what the silicon photonics does is try to build as many of the components in silicon as possible, but they still need to graft on indium phosphide on the front of it. So that's great for people that don't have access to indium phosphide uh, fabrication facilities because um, 
there's lots of semiconductor foundries out there that they can leverage. For people that do have an indium phosphide foundry, like Infinera does, or fabrication so like Infinera, we actually build off of the, the indium phosphide, which is needed anyway. And we can now build as many components into indium phosphide as we possibly can. What it enables us to do is build this monolithically integrated chip you know, with photonic integrated circuit. So when you look at our optical engines, there's essentially one chip, right? There's the one chip for all the front end optics. And then of course, everything needs a processor on the, on the end of it to process the signal. So you've got one processor and one optical chip. What that enables us to do is just build it smaller with lower power while maintaining the higher performance. This is how we set those world records at OFC for point-to-point -point performance with our pluggable. How we're able to also integrate intelligence to the same pluggable because we can just do more in a smaller area. Um, and we think this will help us even as we continue to go forward, as form factors continue to shrink, as you need to get more and more performance on these smaller optical engines, um, we think that gives us an advantage because we just need less components. You know, most people, right. when they build these engines, they have, you know, 10, 15 different components on there that they have to kind of stitch together. They all mm -hmm. take up space. They all need connections between them. And when you're working in these little tiny, small packages, it becomes really challenging to do that at scale. For us, we literally hit the print button on the fab and it prints out an Indian boss by the photonic integrated circuit. We glue that to the board, put the DSP next to it, tie the two together, and we're done. Um, mm -hmm. So it should really help us with volume production, helping to drive yeah. down the cost while keeping performance high and the form factor small. Yeah, that, that, that's a great answer because it does give people, a, I guess, a, a better appreciation for what that component level uh, expertise has to do with all the rest of this stuff as it's as it's changing. So, you know, Infinera is obviously in the components business. It's been in the systems business for for a long time. Um, is it getting into the subsystems business? And you know, what's what's uh, you know driving the activity there? Yeah, it's a it's a great question. Yeah, I mean. You kind of see operators going in two, two different directions or service uh, uh, solution providers in two different directions. For those who have a great deal of vertical integration and their own fab fabs, um, they're starting to lean more heavily like in Panera onto the uh, optical engines and subsystems, right? That is our becoming our big focus because there's becoming an increasing market now for engines independent of systems and even subsystems independent of engines. Um, and so we're really leaning heavily. So what we're focused on in our systems business is building very simple platforms that are easy to deploy, easy to operate, easy to integrate different types of engines into, uh, and very configurable. Okay. Uh, what we're getting away from on the systems is these big, giant, you know, 30 rack unit, you know, OTN switches and, you know, these really giant platforms. The same with the simple platforms. Um, that integrate lots of different types of optical engines while at the same time building these really industry leading optical engines based on our unique capabilities with the um, with our Indian Phosphate Fabrication Center and in-house packaging facility. So to that end, right, the, the key thing that we do, our DSPs, the digital signal processors, we do our own designs, but, but nobody fabs their own DSPs, right? So we always go to like a TSMC right. or something like that or Broadcom, to, well, I guess Broadcom uses TSMC, but um, to fab your DSPs. Um, and so, yeah, we'll, so anybody who wants to buy the DSPs that we design, no problem. We'll sell those independently. Um, and one of the course unique capabilities of them is the ability to support multi-point uh, applications that's in the DSP. Uh, but perhaps more substantially, uh, the one thing that we do want to sell is the optical front end. Um, we call that a T-ROSA, Transmit, Receive, Optical Subassembly, uh, which has literally everything you need for the optical front end built in this little tiny gold box. And one of the reasons it's actually it's kind of an interesting evolution for us because um 
that wasn't our original plan. Maybe down the road we were thinking of doing that, but really we just wanted to get these optic pluggable optical engines out. Um, but when working with some of our uh, customers, and in this case that's other equipment manufacturers and 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 engine manufacturers, they were looking at this T Rosa that we built, which is a little teeny gold box. And because it has so few components, it's so small, it so, uses so little power, and yet still has a high performance. They were very, they're like, hey, we want one of those. <laughs> you know, we'd like to buy that, the T Rosa. Um, and so sure enough, we pro that was, you know, 18 months ago. Um, and so we went ahead and productized the T Rosa. And we now have uh, three, three customers for the T Rosa that we've already sold. Uh, and we have about another dozen or so that are interested in using the T Rosa for various applications. So the answer to the question is yes, absolutely. And, and we see a lot of interest in that T Rosa because it ha does have unique capabilities uh, and those unique capabilities which are enabled by this monolithically integrated indium phosphide based photonic integrated circuit, right? What we can do on a single indium phosphide based chip. Um, yeah, and there's a, there's a ton of applications for this too. I mean, it, it, we think of optics and we generally think primarily of transmission solutions, but the reality is, is compound semiconductors and optical based semiconductors are used in a ton of things. Like you're looking at me uh, on a video screen, right? Mm -hmm. That's yeah. all semiconductor material, optical semiconductor material. It's probably not even phosphide, but right. uh, it could be. And same thing with uh, like the your 3D sensor on your phone and the facial recognition sensor and things like right. that. All yeah. of these things are just based on optical semiconductors. Mm -hmm. um, and so as we look to explore, maybe in conjunction with the US CHIPS Act, um, if it's things that they, other industries we can get into, there's a lot you can do when you own your own fab. You can really build a lot of unique type of capabilities, things that other people that have to get these things from others, they don't have control over the innovation. And so it just, it really opens up our ability um, to create new, unique, differentiated solutions, whether it be in optical transmission solutions or in any other kind of optical-based compound semiconductors. Yeah, that's a great place to leave it because it, it it kind of, uh, I, I guess, uh, you know, We've had this discussion in the in the context of service providers and 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 cloud providers and solving their bandwidth needs, but obviously the technology reaches far beyond that and opens up uh, many doors uh, uh, down the road. Um, we're just about out of time. Uh, if you're listening to this, please do check the show note. Uh, show notes for links to some of the technologies and innovations we've discussed. And if you're uh, hearing this podcast series for the first time, uh, do go and uh, uh, check out our past episodes on lightreading.com and, uh, and on infinera.com. You can find this episode in particular. Uh, Rob Short, thank you so much for your, your, uh, your time and your uh, expertise. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Phil. Great conversation as always. Mm -hmm.